Hello everyone, it's Gabriella Wills here, welcoming you all to episode 6 of the Care Home Option. And with me, as always, is the producer of the series, Drew Rice. Hello Gabriella, hello everyone. And as always, we will start by a short recap on what we covered in the last two episodes. The reasons we're putting them together is it was really one chapter where we try to describe and capture the main issues that somebody going into a care home or having somebody uh, close to them go into a care home may uh, want to know about to understand what it's like. So things like what is a general routine in a 24-hour period in a care home. We talked about care plans, activities, staff, and uh, access to other primary care like a GP, dentist, etc. We took quite a bit of time to talk about the relatives, the the close circle of uh, uh, somebody living in a care home, and the partnership in care that we hope will form between them and the team in the home in order to really optimize the care and the support that is given to the person living there. And we discussed other visitors as well. Before we go to today's chapter, which is describing and considering what happens when things go wrong, because sometimes they do, I would like to uh, mention something that I have come across quite a bit during my work in care homes and it kind of links the visitors with what can go wrong and I know that visitors particularly if they're regular visitors maybe they're a spouse or the close family they come on maybe a weekly basis or however often to a care home and maybe they spend quite a few hours, some in the bedrooms with the resident, but others maybe in the communal areas or in the garden, and they become familiar with others, with other visitors and relatives, but also, of course, with residents. And the tendency may be to try and help. Now, the care home team would very much welcome help, but only and only if it's approved and agreed and considered safe. So you may sit there and you see somebody sitting a few chairs away from you and maybe their cardigan fell on the floor and you think, oh, their staff, you know, are not right here. I can pick it up. Of course, there's no issue with that. But when it comes to anything to do with food or drink, please, please, please do not offer to help somebody. Even with a glass of water? Even with a glass of water. And why, you would ask? Because somebody may have difficulties with swallowing. They may have to have a thickener. Otherwise, they can uh, aspirate. In other words, the water goes the wrong way. Not only can they kind of feel, it doesn't feel very nice and they cough and etc., but it can cause to further long-term issues because of aspiration can lead to pneumonia, etc., etc. Uh, people may be on a special diet in terms of the consistency of the food, the same as uh, with the water. They may have diabetes and they're not allowed sugar or they're not allowed that, and therefore they will have their own cakes that are baked 
especially for them, but you wouldn't know that because these things are not visible. So by all means, if you want to help, you are there and you're familiar and you would like to always ask the staff, so-and-so would like a glass of water. Can I give it to them? Is it okay to give them cake? Staff love that because of course it helps and it's an interaction. Again, it's something else, but please, please never kind of do that if you're not sure. Um, the other help that can lead unintentionally, of course, to a lot of concern is when um, visitors maybe are going out of the care home, they open the door and here comes somebody maybe older, they're very well dressed and they're walking a bit slowly towards the door. And of course, being um, very polite and helpful, you just hold the door open for them and they're there you go, because you assume they're a visitor who is now going home. And it can very well be a resident. Many residents look fine, they're well-dressed, and maybe their mobility may or may not be impaired, um, but they may not be safe to go out on their own. Some are, but even then, the team needs to know that. So we had... Uh, quite a few scary moments where somebody is not in the home, where are they? All my career people have been found. Uh, a lot of the time they're very happy, they kind of feel they know where they're going. But of course it, it can end not well. Somebody may fall and then not be able to get up. If it's winter, of course there are other issues of hypothermia, etc. Maybe they will some suddenly feel lost and scared and not know where to go. They miss their time for taking their medicines. It could be as well. Often they found quite quickly because if, if the home is on it, then they will send people out, they will alert everybody and everybody will be on it. But it's not a good thing and it's so easily done. And the reason I mention it here, it's done with the best intention. It's just something we do. Uh, we see somebody, we, we keep the door open. But please, please just say, we need to ask somebody and and that and that really leads me to today's episode where we're talking about when things don't go to plan or when somebody is not happy it can be the person living there it can be the family it can be a close friend and want to give feedback well let's assume you're very happy in your care home but then something goes wrong, not necessarily anyone's fault, but it might be. How do you approach that problem? Thanks, Drew. Okay, so today we will talk about two scenarios or context in which something went wrong are dealt with. One is complaints and general feedback, which we'll do first. And the second is safeguarding. And I think people hear the word quite a lot, uh, but I th we both agree that it is a subject that is important to cover, even if we just touch on it, because it is massive. So we won't be able to cover everything. But when we talk about complaints, and I would like to also include compliments in that. So let's talk a little bit about feedback first, and then we'll go into the side of things that are not not satisfactory as far as the experience of the person is. 
Um, it is really important to give feedback. When we talked before at, about the trust and the communication and the relationship, giving feedback, small feedback, it doesn't have to be big things. This was very, very nice or dad was in a good mood today. He enjoyed something. Mum looks really lovely, nice today. Her nails are done. The staff get so much from the fact that somebody noticed that they have done a good job and that the person they look after is well or looks well or feels well. So again, advice, give feedback. Um, when it comes to things that are, let's call them a complaint, it is very important to give it. I would suggest that giving feedback incrementally is better than waiting and then saying for the last two years it was never right well then they'd never had a chance to put it right so in order for the person who gives the feedback the complaint to feel safe really to do that there are certain criteria in a way uh, that need to be in the environment for them to feel or not to feel, if I'm going to say that, are they going to, to ask me to leave? Can you just explain that a little bit further? Sure. So in order to feel that complaining or saying, pointing out that something led a person, it, a lot of the time it is the, the relatives, but of course it can be a resident themselves. I wasn't happy with this that people don't think if I complain, I will be known as a complainer or staff will avoid me or like, you know, I will be asked to leave. Of course, this is a perception, but somebody shouldn't feel that way. So where there is good practice about feedback and complaints, what you would see is, first of all, how to complain, posters, uh, things like you asked, we did. No one said, you told us that, I don't know, the soup is too salty and we did, we, you know, got another chef or whatever. Um, there should be a complaint policy. Um, it's, it's often displayed, it should be displayed, but I don't see many people, particularly visitors or even residents who will stand there and want to read the policy and I'm not suggesting to do that. But maybe ask, how would you like feedback when we're looking at home? And it's more about the approach and the openness. Uh, do you have many complaints? Uh, homes may say, yes, we do have many complaints, which is a good thing. It means people feel that they can say, but most of them maybe have been acted on. Maybe they're just little things. And when somebody points out so let's say you say oh by the way i rang yesterday and it took a long time for the phone to be answered it's a legitimate little feedback the response could be oh i'm really sorry that couldn't have been very nice for you maybe you were worried uh, what time was that oh it was 8 30. i'm really sorry but that during that time the staff are out we're all out on the you know in the unit attending to residents but you know what, next, uh, maybe I will 
we will put a message on the answering machine to say, if you're ringing between these times, we are probably busy, please ring back later. So that shows, first of all, an, an acknowledgement of the distress or what you felt as a customer, um, an acknowledgement that, or, or an explanation of why that was, and also saying, this is how we're going to correct. If it was something bigger or not as, as obvious, then the answer would be, leave it with me. We will look into it and come back to you. Do you think it's advisable to put things in writing if they're more serious? Sure. So that you have a log. It's, it's, you can say, well, on this date, I sent you this. You didn't do anything. Or thank you very much. You did it immediately. Absolutely. So first of all, a home must keep a log of all complaints. CQC will check that. Uh, if you remember, we talked about responsive as one of the five areas that uh, um, CQC check and responding to complaints, um, not just writing a letter saying, I got your letter, but actually ha what you do is part of that where lead will come into it. So all these criteria, all these five areas of inquiry feed into this as well. Um, I would say there are two levels or two ways of complaining. There's the formal and informal. The informal is to say, by, as I said, by the way, this and this. I don't want to put it in writing, but I'm letting you know because I know that you will do something about it. But either something really big has happened where you feel I can't just do that, or we had too many of these informals and you tell me you're doing something and you haven't, and I'm still not happy, and now I'm deciding... I want to make this a formal complaint. And in both, you can write notes. When it comes to a formal complaint, definitely put it in writing. These days, a lot is done by email, but you can do it by letter. Uh, and um, then a whole process will start. The policy of the care home will specify the time in which they should come back to you, which is normally around 28 days. If they can't complete their investigation in that time they need to come back to and explain why but maybe people are on holiday the people concerned um, or there's some other issues that they can't cover uh, during the time but they will always aim they should aim to complete it it should be an exception that they don't complete and come back to somebody uh, within the time specified in their policy and yeah, this will then start uh, a whole rollout of, of, uh, of a process at the end of which you will need to hear the outcome of the investigation, whether it has been upheld or not, any actions and any kind of outcomes directly for the person you're complaining about, etc. As mentioned before, it is always better to start at the local level, if appropriate. But of course, if it is something more serious or you will not complain directly to the person implicated, so the letter can go to the manager or maybe there is a, a deputy manager that deals with complaints. If it's part of a larger organization, it can then be copied into a, if they have a customer experience or complaints department, but it shows courtesy and respect. And if we consider that when somebody complains, even if it is 
more more serious they want to to remain there so if the relationships can be maintained and one of them will be if drew if you were the manager and i come to you and say this is a formal complaint this and this and this happened by the way i'm sending a copy to i don't know head office as it may be referred to I show you respect that I trust that you will deal with it, but I'm also saying this is serious, I'm doing it. If I just went to head office, as some refer to, and then you get a letter and saying, Gabriella complained, you'd think, well, why why did she not come to me? Unless, of course, the complaint is against you, and then that won't be appropriate. So throughout complaints, and a good home will welcome complaints as a as feedback people should never feel that it will somehow mark them but we the, the the notion needs to be this is a constructive process we're in it together we try to help and i think a lot of trust is built through these feedback sessions when they're small then the person complaining can see well okay they dealt with it well so on we go. And I think that is something that everyone needs to work on. Um, when somebody is unhappy about something, it's sometimes difficult to to feel generous in, in the approach. Uh, but take a deep breath and then treat it as, as a positive way forward, whichever way it then may take. And let's assume you've talked and complained and written and nothing's being done and you're not satisfied where do you go from there the 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 process is leading a complaint in a way driving it up the hierarchy of the organization first so it may be the local team and maybe the manager of the team and if there is um, if it's a single home but there is a proprietor the owner asked to forward it to them, they have a responsibility if it's a single home. Um, if it's a large organization, as we said, there will be a department. It can go up that management within the organization, sometimes right to a trustee if that is in place. When the internal hierarchy has been exhausted and there is still no satisfaction with the outcome as far as the person uh, complaining is concerned, the next stage is to go to the ombudsman and there is a, a, a local government and social care ombudsman that deals with issues that concern care homes. And they are really the, uh, an independent person who has been appointed to deal with issues such as we are discussing where the parties concerned have not been able to to come to a conclusion. The one organization that we have mentioned before, where feedback and complaints and others can be communicated to, but will not in itself get involved in investigating is, is uh, the Care Quality Commission. And my experience shows that people don't always understand the role there. So the Care Quality Commission, as we mentioned before, monitors the performance of care homes amongst other agencies. And although they conduct inspections yearly or however often, 
they draw a lot of their data and information from the general public. And one of the criteria would be if a home receives many complaints that are escalated to them or very severe ones, then it kind of creates a bit of a red light for them and they will keep an eye. And at some point they may decide that they need to look into the care home to understand is there something wrong. What they don't do, which sometimes people are surprised at, is what the ombudsman will do, which means they will look into it themselves. They, the Care Quality Commission will not investigate complaints themselves. That, however, doesn't mean not to inform them if somebody feels that that's something that they want to do and they feel the Care Quality Commission, CQC, should be aware of. Drew, I think that we have now covered uh, feedback and complaints and when things go wrong in quite a thorough way, at least for people to be aware and know where to go should they have an issue. And what I would like to do next is to talk about the other aspect of things go wrong, which is safeguarding. So what is safeguarding? Uh, people have heard it. Um, it's n never actually mentioned uh, in a positive way. And I think it is very important for anyone considering going into a care home to have some understanding about what it's about. It's a very, very big subject. We will not be able to cover it in great depth. This is not a training session, but what we are trying to do is to give people the initial understanding of what it's about and again, where they can read more about it or where to go when uh, they believe that something may not be as it should and somebody is at risk. And mentioning a report, NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence has produced a report about safeguarding in care homes in 2021. It is available online, just put in safeguarding in care homes and it will come up. It's a very long report but it is directed at both professionals as well as people who live or have somebody knows somebody living in care homes so there's a lot more information there but the point that i would like to make at the outset is that safeguarding is covered first and foremost in the care act of 2014 there's a whole section section 42 that covers that it gives a definition which I will read out because it gives a good baseline to understand what it's about. But there is also other legislation that is connected with that. Uh, Human Rights, uh, Mental Capacity Act. Again, we are not kind of doing this in a legal way, but it is, I think, it differentiated from other issues because it is very much something that is anchored in law in order to protect people. So the definition, as is in Section 42 of the Care Act 2014, is 
Safeguarding is about seeking to promote an adult's right to security, liberty, and family life, as well as about protecting their physical safety and taking action to prevent the occurrence or reoccurrence of abuse or neglect. Any restriction on the individual's rights or freedom of action that is involved in the exercise of the function is kept to the minimum necessary. We will dive into it a little bit, but if I was to sum it up in very general lay terms, the way that I always talked about it, is that we want to protect anybody who is vulnerable in the fact that they have some kind of care or support need, which deem them vulnerable in that respect, that they are free from harm, whether abuse or neglect. And my approach was always that they should also be free of the fear of being harmed. So people need to feel safe in order to thrive and to have a good quality of life. And the act that I described also gives some guidelines as to what, what are we talking about here. And the first one is empowerment. People should be encouraged to make their own decision as much as is possible. Drew, we talked about the choices that people have and how they can replicate as much as is possible their previous kind of life. People need to be enabled and supported to do that. Prevention, it's always better to try and prevent harm than to try and correct it afterwards. Proportionality is something that is very valid here because let's suppose that we are trying to uh, uh, prevent somebody from falling out of the bed because they, they, they can't. So what are we going to do? Are we going to then keep them with, um, you know, restraint. Going to, yeah, restraint. So, or maybe we can just get a bed that is very low, mm. almost like on the floor with a soft surface. So if they roll over, no harm will come to them. So, Again, this is a very simple example, but it is about always going for the least restrictive solution uh, as much as is possible. Partnership is important because, again, any person who has responsibility with safeguarding or any organization, you can't do that um, in isolation. It needs to be with collaborative work, with communication, and we talked before about communities and a community of a care home, which is a community, including the visitors and the volunteers and everybody who comes in. First of all, all of them can be implicated within a safeguarding as the person who has done or not done what they're supposed to, to that was a potential risk of harm to uh, a vulnerable person, but also in terms of understanding what safeguarding is, what it looks like, what are the signs, and therefore reporting so that, that something can be done, hopefully preventative, but of course protection of those who are most at need. Uh, these will be people with disabilities, physical or other, with dementia, with learning disabilities, so people who 
may not be able to protect themselves against harm. Or communicate when harm has been done to them. Absolutely. Or the threat of harm. Absolutely. And in care homes, everyone who is there is in a way vulnerable because they don't have control as if they were in their own home. There is there are other people there. So always better to kind of consider everybody in a care home is vulnerable when it comes to safeguarding and we should always be alert to the possibility. And the, the last principle is about accountability and that is of course of those responsible doing what needs to be done to prevent, to act, to learn so that after that it may not happen again. And an additional is the, the well-being principle which means safeguarding and feeling safe and being well needs to fit to, to the person who is the subject or maybe. And it's always advisable to do it within the context of that person to involve and and to to it's not a tick box ex, tick box exercise so is it in a, in a sense the principle that not only you do the minimum to keep everyone safe and well but you go above and beyond to make sure they have a good quality of life of course that's what we're trying to do right. in all that we do the next point i'd like to make is again these we use terms terminology such as abuse and neglect as the main areas general areas where harm can be done and i'm not sure whether this, this is now the scientific formal way of describing it but one easy way of understanding is that abuse is mostly about doing harm Neglect is about what we haven't done. So a, a situation can be that a person delivering care is insulting and rough handling somebody, a, an abusive situation. Or it can be that they're actually avoiding any contact and not doing, not giving care over a period of time or etc or withholding, not giving food, or personal care, and the person is neglected. So one is not more severe than the other. They both actually can result in harm to the person and the person at risk. Where can abuse happen or neglect? Where can these scenarios occur? It's interesting that I believe that many people think that care homes are the riskiest place where somebody can be or the place where most of um, safeguarding alerts and concerns will be raised from. And it is actually not correct. Uh, there is a research that was done by the NHS. Um, it was the N NHS Digital, actually, looking at... Um, safeguarding concerns that were raised uh, during uh, from April 19 to the end of March 2020. And they found that almost 44% of alerts were actually regarding people in their own homes. And we discussed before, it actually makes sense because there's 
nobody to witness. The people who look after somebody don't have the right training. And I'll come in a minute about how these things can happen. And also, care homes are very heavily regulated. The Care Quality Commission, um, we talked about rating, actually around 80% of care homes are rated good, 5% are rated outstanding. Only 1% of care homes inspected are rated inadequate. That means they're really not good. It is also good to note that care homes will report, they have a reporting procedure. And we talk again about in a minute about the, the culture of a care home, about reporting. But a care home will report safeguardings about others as well as themselves. They will raise concerns about their own practice or something that happened that may investigate them if they're a, a home that, that has the culture. But in somebody's home, nobody's going to report that so necessarily. So while somebody may be concerned about how many safeguarding cases there were, it's one indicator maybe to consider, but are there actually being substantiated? A lot of homes will want to raise concerns even if they know that actually the investigation will show that it hasn't been. It is again about transparency, about trust, and about the regulators, the local authority, etc., being uh, trusting that when something goes wrong, there isn't hiding and sweeping it under the, the carpet. Actually, it's all out in the open. And as to who can be, if you like, implicated possibly, potentially, within safeguarding, it's anyone who has anything to do with a care home or with somebody who is vulnerable, somebody living in a care home. Of course, it can be the team, the staff, it can be a visitor, it can be a relative, um, a volunteer, volunteer, absolutely everybody. So again, when we talk about anyone who's connected with a care home or with somebody vulnerable has a dual role. I mean, I hope that they won't be in the role of the person who is causing harm, but definitely the role of being aware and reporting as early as possible if they think even that something may be amiss. So when all these things occur, and they don't happen very often, you've made that clear, mm. what is the actual responsibility of the care home the provider of the care okay the caregiver if you like the the provider has a responsibility as we said first to prevent so how can uh, somebody prevent when there are homes with good practice they will have a very clear policy about safeguarding they will have training and, and safeguarding training for staff in care home is mandatory you have to do it regularly. Now, both with a policy and a training, it's not just, oh, it's on the wall. They, they need to know the principles we talked about, what to do, how to identify, what is abuse. They need to know what it is. Whistleblowing policies. Whistleblowing policy means that a member of staff will not feel afraid or 
will feel that it is their duty to raise the alarm if they think that somebody isn't doing or somebody maybe they suspect that maybe somebody is sub subjected to some abuse or, or other. Now, some places this is obvious that it is happening and in others staff are scared and they wouldn't do that. So is there supervision in place? Supervision is when the line manager meets with the employee on a regular basis. It can be once a month, maybe it's once a week, maybe it's once every two months, but on a regular basis in a, a, a adequate frequency, it's a private time. So there's opportunity for sub things like that to be raised in, in safety. How do people or the management, do they talk about these things? Again, as we talked about complaints, are they open? If somebody raises an, a concern, an alert, or says, I, 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 I'm not sure, I saw so-and-so and they had a big bruise on their forehead. What do they say? How do they respond? And when safeguarding concerns are raised, do they do what needs to be done? Of course, the person needs to be made, the situation needs to be made safe. So if somebody says, again, I'm giving an extreme example, I saw this volunteer hitting this person, resident on the head, the first thing we will do is we will separate them. We will make sure that that volunteer maybe is definitely not near there. Maybe we say, don't come for a little while while we're investigating. The resident is kept safe. And then there is an escalation. I don't think I said the local authority have the responsibility for all safeguarding concerns raised, investigated and concluded. And they will work very closely with the individuals concerned with a care provider and other agencies as is necessary. Uh, and, and the last thing is, again, good practice would be that lessons are learned. So another example is maybe that mistakes were made with medication, giving medication maybe to the wrong person not giving medi medication and people are missing out of it. It may not be life-threatening, but if you have medication, then you should receive it. Now, it could be an individual that didn't follow the procedure. It could be that you have somebody giving medication and they didn't have enough training, so they don't quite do it well. It could be they're not enough staff or they haven't got the right tools. These are different levels of who is responsible from an individual to an organization as a whole. But if this was discovered or came to light, surely if, some, if the um, provider is then saying, of course, we send them to training, we have somebody supervising them while they give medication until we know they're safe, or we send everybody on training, or we, we, we implemented something that will help prevent that in future. This is what good practice is all about, is to learning, preventing, of course, but when things go wrong, is to make sure that they do everything practicable to prevent that from happening again. I just want to finish by saying that although what we talked about today is when things go wrong, whether it's a, a complaint or a safeguarding issue, I don't want people to come out of this session thinking, oh, this is terrible. 
because things can go wrong, but most of the time they are resolved, they are leading to improvements and people are overall well protected. Well, that idea that if you feedback, if you complain, if you take it higher, more than likely the outcome are better systems in place and in long-lasting improvements. Yeah, I hope so. And in terms of safeguarding, people are generally safe. Many home will over record and report rather than under record and report which again is is to an extent a good a good sign i think the main role of any visitors or, or residents themselves is if they think that something they may it may not be correct but if you suspect that somebody is not as well that somebody is not safe that somebody is maybe being harmed or treated not as they should tell someone and it can be within the home it can be a gp it can be the police if you think it's criminal or, or it doesn't matter what you know just tell and of course the local authority each local authority will have a safeguarding section and the last thing i want to say as well is that abuse or neglect don't have to be intentional and we talked before about this happening at home. So if you just think of somebody, uh, a family member, a spouse, a son or daughter looking after somebody very frail, they may be trying to do their best. They don't have training. They don't really know. They don't have resources. They are unable to give them the care. Maybe they're locking the doors. Maybe the person is not eating and choking and they don't know what to do they may be thinking they're doing something in the best interest of that person but they're not so it's not always about meaning to do harm but if harm is possible then we need to help those people both the person who's subjected to it and also the person who's probably just don't know how to do it better so it's important these are not bad people they're mostly both privately and professional not that many bad people most people mean well excellent and again all very interesting thank you Gabriella let's just finish today's episode with some information about what we're going to be talking about next time the next two sessions will be about dementia care so again maybe not the most cheerful <laughs> uh, although when done well and a lot of the time they are done very well, um, can really make a huge difference to the person themselves and, of course, the family and the people around them. And it would be good to explain what can be expected, what does good look like and what to do or where to seek help. And again, Gabriella, for our listeners, some really useful resources. The first two will help when you have a complaint that you don't feel is being heard by the home. So we have the Local Government and Social Care Ombudsman, lgo.org.uk, lgo.org.uk. And we also have the Relatives and Residents Association, we mentioned last week, but definitely worth mentioning again, relres.org. 
R-E-L-R-E-S.org. And the last two that I want to tell you about, Hourglass, wearhourglass.org, W-E-A-R-H-O-U-R-G-L-A-S-S.org. And if you can't find them, then type in Action on Elder Abuse, and you'll find them there. And the last one is the National Care Line. Very useful resource for support and information. A very useful resource for safeguarding. The thenationalcareline.org. So until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.